to another awesome episode of Art of the Flow. Really excited about this one. We've got Roy Vor on the show, and he does not disappoint. If you've got any questions about COVID, if you've got any questions about its transmission, and particularly its transmission in a float center, you definitely want to listen to this episode. It's great stuff. I hate to have to say that we had audio issues. It happens. Uh, we've got a lot of people going in um, online and recording source audio. We had some glitches this time, so it's a Zoom recording. So the audio isn't as ideal as we like to make it, but there is. it still sounds great. still sounds fine. The content is excellent, so definitely still worth listening to. Before we get started, of course, I want to give a shout out to FloatHelm. FloatHelm is the software that float centers are using to do scheduling, to do, you've, you've heard all the things that it does. FloatHelm is amazing. We use it at the float shop, and they're always improving the experience. One of the cool things that they've done recently is now you can, in what they call the Omnibar, when you're in the sales function, uh, you can just write out what product you're listing uh, for their purchase. And they added something where now you can write a tip for an LMT, for example, um, or anybody who would potentially get a tip. You can just write 5% tip or 10% tip and whoever it should go to. And it just adds it in there. So if they say, you know, what's 20% tip? What is that? You don't have to know the math on it or anything. It just does the math for you. So super cool. Just one of the you know, innovations that they're doing uh, in Flowhelm that are constantly rolling out that we use at the shop. Flowhelm.com is where you want to go to check it out. Maximum floats. If you are interested in getting clients in your doors, getting them in quickly, consistently, and returning, Maximum Floats is who you want to talk to. These guys have been <laughs> they've been busting their butts for years within the float industry. They're floaters themselves, and they have refined what they're doing to this very particular marketing format where um, they're they're bringing people in for a whole wellness experience, and it's working. I highly recommend checking out MaximumFloats.com and getting in, in touch with Kyle and the rest of the guys on the team and learning about this product and how it can help your float center. I also want to give a shout out to Mindful Solutions. Kim Hannon, our, our co-host here, is has really created something special and something affordable where if you aren't ahead of the curve every single week posting your social media, if you find that difficult to do, Kim has you covered. Go to mindful.solutions.com. Find the plan that works for you. I'm using it at the float shop. I know Gloria is signing up and Drew is actually signing up as well. Uh, it is such a breath of fresh air for me using Kim. I love what she's posting. We are seeing our organic growth increase and that is exactly what we want to see before the holidays when everybody's going to be posting. We want people to see us and what we have to say. So I'm loving it. And again, that's mindful, two L's, mindful.solutions. Uh, one other thing, um, I was talking about bio-esque solutions in this episode and we kind of, you know, went off on a tangent. We didn't uh, complete our conversation. And after we hung up, uh, we talked about it a little bit more. I don't name it properly, uh, but if you listen past the ending music, we have a little bit more conversation about it. And Drew has another question that I was just like, you know what, this is such good stuff. Let's add this in at the end of the show. So uh, just stay tuned for that if you're interested. And otherwise, enjoy the show. Welcome back to another episode of Art of the Float, where float centers thrive. I am one of your co-hosts, Dylan. I live in Portland, Oregon. I own the float shop with my lovely wife, and I feel like the bubble is starting to come in. I used to hear 
of people kind of third hand that they had COVID and all of a sudden it's a neighbor that has it or a neighbor's coworker. Um, I'm a neighbor with somebody who's an ICU nurse. They have, uh, and who works with COVID patients. He has not uh, had it yet, um, but it is a big potential. Um, but now more and more family members or people, my family members are around um, are getting it. So, or I should say extended family and people they know. So it, it feels like it's getting closer and closer in. And this is Gloria Morris with Float 60. And uh, yes, my bubble just got really small. My husband is positive for COVID and is currently living in the basement of our home. And my daughter has had COVID for the last uh, few weeks. Um, some other just relatives, uh, distant relatives, a couple of neighbors, pretty much like all of my neighbors that I can think of have had it. Um, so it's definitely becoming, you know, right in our backyard. This is Drew from New Hampshire Float. And while I have to remind you, I am in New Hampshire. I don't, I still don't know anyone who has tested positive for COVID. It, I know it exists. I'm not saying it doesn't, but my family, my friends, nobody I know has tested positive for it. I have definitely heard of someone else who knows somebody who did quite often, but so far, no, although cases are big time on the rise here in New Hampshire. And I'm Kim Hannon. I own Sukino Float Center in Salt Cave in Indiana. And um, my circle is definitely uh, my, I will say my family more so than my circle because my family primarily lives in East Tennessee. Um, and my stepdad was one of the first in East Tennessee who uh, caught it. He was hospitalized for two months and unconscious and uh, we were saying our goodbyes and the man pulled through. Um, it was a total miracle case. Um, and then just more recently in the past couple of weeks, my dad and his wife were both positive, uh, spent some time in the hospital, um, each for more than a week. My stepmom had to go back for another week. Um, I have friends and neighbors who have tested positive. We've had members at the float center who've called us and uh, that, you know, after they've healed and recovered completely, asked if they are safe to come back. Um, so I know a lot of folks who have caught it and uh, knock on wood, we're doing everything we can to be safe and uh, keep our bubble as secure as we possibly can. Wow. Wow, guys, it's here. <laughs> like if ever it seemed yeah. distant and, and deniable, not that we ever were denying it, uh, it is here. And it's, uh, oh, yeah. it's scary, man. And um, why why are we talking about this? <laughs> because, well, uh, there the COVID rates are through the roof throughout the country. Um, you know, even the the places with, I don't know, North and South Dakota, where there's a lot more distance between people. Uh, it they're they're spiking and catching up. Um, you know, in their percentages and their fill rates of their hospitals. And um, who who do you call in a time like this? You call Roy Vore, and that's who we have on the show today. We're going to be talking with Roy. We're going to understand the science a little bit more. Let's be honest, a lot more. And just because I know Roy's coming on, he's going to be a breath of fresh air too. I know I'm going to smile during this stressful time, which is really nice. Roy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm glad to be here. It's like, uh, uh, and I'll just continue the bad news with everybody else. I had, when I was still in corporate America in the spring, before I got downsized and went out on my own and oh, wow. run my own business now, um, we had two people in the building that got it. And we had about 100 people in the building. Two people. This was in April. Two wow. people got it. 
And then in the last week, two of my former co-workers uh, let me know one of them had it and the other one, his two teenage sons had it. Oh, shoot. Uh, and so it's running through and I'm down here just outside of Atlanta. Uh, and uh, all of our bars are relatively full. I was just walking the dog about an hour ago and the bar right up the street from me didn't have an empty parking spot in it. And, you know, as much as I like beer, I can't figure out how to drink beer through a mask. Okay. So it's like, I'm not going to go into a bar right now, you know, and, you know, so, Brutal. yeah, but it's with us. It's with us. It's with and- us. And it's so it's so with us that uh, we're starting to see shutdowns again nationally. Uh, uh, Portland is, has having a new round of of shutdowns, and I think it's in Portland aimed a little bit more at where they're finding hotspots are coming from. Although it sounds like the new leader is at home, it's families uh, visiting each other, saying, you know, we're relatively safe. You're relatively safe. Let's see each other, and that just increases the probability exponentially when everybody's doing that. Hello, Thanksgiving coming up. So. Um, Canceled. Canceled? Well, yeah, I mean, how could your family? You're going to be Zooming with your husband. You're going to be on Skype with your husband. I know. I know. And we were, we were hosting it. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's the prudent thing to do for sure is to not have it. And uh, Roy, thank you so much for joining the show. And, you know, a lot of people just love you because they've seen you at the float conference and you make science fun. You make germs fun, but a lot of people might not know who you are. So please give us a little bit of background on who you are and then how you got involved with the rest of us crazy people in this industry. Uh, Okay. The the short story on it was I grew up in Kansas. I have a first cousin named Dorothy. I just had a Toto dog. I've been through tornadoes like you cannot believe. And then about... 35 years ago, a tornado sucked me up, blew me into the field of microbiology, and I have a PhD now from the land of Oz called University of Arkansas in microbial physiology. My specialization is microbial control. If you want to know what kind of disinfectant, sanitizer, germ kills something on a surface, I've probably killed it. And I probably use things that will never make it to market because they either didn't work or were too expensive. And for the last 30 years, I've been probably the go-to guy on disinfection in swimming pools and spas. I wrote most of the stuff on the original Centers for Disease Control manual, uh, now, now called the Model Aquatic Health Code, and a lot of people here. I was the selected by the CDC to write that. And then I wrote the most advanced manual on germs in swimming pools. And then about five years ago, I started running into Graham and Ashcon and, you know, and, you know, everybody knows those lunatics. And so (laughs) down the street, you mean mean conference about four years ago, and they were walking up the other way and they said, Roy, we'll buy you a beer. So, you know, I sat down and they said, Hey, um, we, we've been doing this microbiology. And I looked at him and said, you guys don't know crap about microbiology. You need a real microbiologist on there. And they say, what's it going to take? And I said, uh, beer and a lunch. Uh, and, and the next year, they invited me out to the float conference. And that was 2018. And that's when I scared the hell out of everybody. Uh, and I didn't scare enough people. So I came back in 19 to scare a few more people. Uh, 
Uh, and so then I decided to scare everybody on the float tank association. So I got roped into being on that board of directors. And so now you people think I've missed a few people, so I'm back to scare some more people. <laughs> so, um, if you need to know something about germs and goo and things in water, I'm probably it. And when people ask me what I do, I, I generally say, I study things that smell bad enough that would make a vulture puke. <laughs> That's okay. my... Okay, <laughs> stop for a second, okay? okay. I Okay, it, this... Next question, it can't have anything to do with microbiology or germs or goo or gunk or anything, okay? This wait, next wait, question wait, is- I'm hanging up now, I'm hanging up. But no, you can't. What do you do for fun outside of this? It's a very important question. <laughs> I watch Godzilla movies. Perfect, okay, well that's good. Okay, All now, right. since it's a podcast, you can't see it. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, so I'm awesome. holding a figurine that I got from uh, Hold on. Godzilla statue. It, Wait, can we see that again? Action, yes, thank you. It's an action you. figure. So this is an action figure of Godzilla. Tail it's moves, great. mouth moves. <laughs> oh, we've got our work cut out for us tonight, Dylan. We, we've credibility established. We're locked in. We're good. So, okay, you you met GrashCon and then you started coming to the conference. What keeps you coming uh, to the conference and helping this, this group of people in this industry? What draws you to the float conference and the float industry? This is the problem. Now I actually have to give a serious answer. Um, two aspects, and this is probably one of the few comments that'll be serious the entire thing. One, uh, having been in the pool and spa industry for now, since 91, uh, I saw a lot of technology come in with a lot of people with some really bad ideas selling snake oil. And I saw the float conference in here with people asking for microbiology expertise in here that were genuine and concerned and you know, showing interest in protecting their customers, not trying to sell snake oil. And I said, my God, this is refreshing. And so the entire group is so open and you know that's why it's fun to do something like you know this podcast and then from a scientific viewpoint looking at the microbiology of float solutions is probably one of the two or three most exotic environments that i've ever studied mm. you know and so it's really out there and every physiologist that i've talked to about you know what i'm kind of been poking my fingers in for three years now they're saying boy that's a good one it's like, just keep doing it. From, so from a scientific viewpoint, it's fascinating. From a health viewpoint, it's very, very good for all of us. And anybody that's ever floated knows, knows how good it is for you. And then from the just group of people, just, you know, the, the tone of conversation on this podcast, it's every time I'm hanging around float people, it's just a blast. And, you know, rather than hanging around all those boring chemists and regulators that I've hung around <laughs> with. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll hang around you guys. Mm -hmm. Well, we're very, very blessed to have you in our industry and you've provided such great guidance. And, you know, this is a very serious topic uh, at hand, COVID. And we, we really wanted to bring you on to get the latest information, you know, the latest kind of outlook on 
the COVID situation and also the industry in your opinion. So I don't know if you want to start with kind of the state of affairs with COVID and what you've learned recently as to, you know, now that we know there's not compliance and we know that people aren't wearing masks and we know it's, you know, there's a, there's a lack of respect for that process. How far does this go out? Well, uh, before we get into any of the grim news, let's look, let's look at the, the, the good positive outview. And anybody that hasn't been following this, we've had two vaccine announcements in the last uh, probably week and a half in here, uh, uh, both the Pfizer and uh, uh, I think it was the Moderna vaccine that was just announced. Both of them are incredibly efficient, but 95%. And it was hopeful that they were going to be above 50%. And so the fact that we have two vaccines that are that good, that are likely to be approved, there's been a couple of glitches along the way, but they have not been associated with re bad reactions with the vaccine. It was other things. And, you know, this is like something always happens in there. Uh, so we've got two vaccines. I think there's 28 other vaccines in the pipeline most of them are pretty similar. The bottom line is we are almost certainly going to have a vaccine available in the United States for first responders and medical health people around January 1. And it will stop the spread of COVID-19. It should be available to the general public sometime after March 1, maybe generally available by May or June. And if we get somewhere in the vicinity of 70% either natural immunity or vaccinations, we're looking at seeing this outbreak in our rearview mirror in about 12 months. Now that doesn't, that seems like a long time, but we're in the worst part of it right now. And for the next 90 days, 120 days, this is the grim part. There is light at the end of the tunnel. We will get through this, but it will take vaccination. We will have to emphasize masks. We will have to be socially distanced. Uh, but it was one of the recent governors, uh, I, I don't know whether it was Mar I think it was Maryland, uh, asked him, uh, what's the downside of not wearing a mask? And his answer is death. So, I mean, here's your choice. Do you want to be a little bit inconvenienced for a while and be alive 12 months from now? Or do you want to suck it up, get through this the best we can? and be alive 12 months from now. That's really the reality of it. And what would you say to the people who are saying, you know, it's, it's less than 1%, it's a, a few decimal points down, and it's usually people who are immunocompromised or uh, older. So it's, they're, they're not gonna be dead. Well, you know, there, there are a lot of questions about the, uh, you know, exactly who gets it. Uh, Initially, when the stories were coming out of China, we were saying that you know uh, children uh, under the 20, age of 21 didn't get it. I've got a really good friend. Both of his teenagers have got it right now. They're sick. 
we've had about three to 5% of the deaths, I think, are people under the age of 30. We've had several infants die from it. And so, you know, I'll tell you a personal story based on me uh, uh, 14 months ago. Uh, biology is a little bit unpredictable. I went to my daughter's soccer match about uh, September last year, September uh, 2019. Reached in to grab the uh, uh, mosquito repellent. It was, you know, sundown. It was suntan lotion. It wasn't mosquito repellent. Got bit three times that night. No problem. It was a mosquito bite, right? I'll be fine. That was Tuesday night. Friday morning, about five minutes till nine, I started feeling off. Nine o'clock, I had a sore throat. 9.05, I had the chills. By 9.20, just 25 minutes after the first symptoms, I was shivering so bad. I spent 36, I spent 72 hours in bed wearing every bit of clothing I had covered up with blankets, shivering from West Nile virus. 80% of everybody that gets West Nile virus has no symptoms. That's exactly the same numbers that we get with COVID-19. Interesting. I didn't have any secondary infections. Uh, I, you know, fully recovered and everything. It took me about six weeks. It was miserable. This is infinitely worse. We know if you happen to get secondary infection or secondary complications, you can have permanent cardiac function. You can have permanent neurological function. You can have permanent lung damage in here. And that doesn't matter whether you're 65 or 21. There is a certain percentage of people that have permanent neurologic cardiac respiratory function. And there's the long haul cases that people are sick for six to eight months. I mean, I'm not a germaphobe. I am not a germaphobe. I've been in pretty much social isolation, social isolation for about eight months now. I mean, I've been in grocery stores with a mask on maybe 10 times, maybe. Pick up at the curb, only go into the hardware store when I need something for my swimming pool routes. No unnecessary shopping. We can do this. It's just a matter of sweating it out. But it's like, I've, and the other thing I want to emphasize, we've known about viruses like this forever. This is nothing new to us in microbiology. I studied something like this when I was in general uh, uh, pathogenic bacteriology and immunology in 1980. We predicted this. You know, so it's like, yeah, we can get through this. But we've got to suck it up, do the best job we can, and, you know, survive it. Just in general, have things changed in terms of how we approach the virus in terms of containment, or is it still like the number one recommendation is the mask? Nothing has changed since January, if you listen to the statistics. 
somewhere in July or uh, maybe even June, the prediction was that March 1, if we didn't do anything, we would have about 440 to 450,000 deaths. We're on track right now to have 450,000 deaths. Now that's 200,000 between now and March. Now the good news, if 95% of the people wore a mask between now and Christmas, we would almost completely eliminate all cases of COVID-19. That's all we need to do. 95% compliance with masks, you know, and we could stop this thing. But I was just at a farmer's market with my family last Saturday morning, picking up some uh, naan and some uh, uh, samosas from one of the local stores. And about 75% of everybody had a mask on. Now this is outside but 25% didn't have a mask. And I'm in a pretty elite group down here in uh, Atlanta, which is pretty progressive. And we're pretty good on masks. We still have massive outbreaks. So we're not where we need to be. But that's the biggest thing. We knew this in March. A mask is not a political statement. Now, this book, no, no. The easiest way to think about this thing is put yourself in the vision of a virus. Okay, boom, everybody is now a COVID virus. Now, this is the way a virus does it. A virus comes along and you pull it into your lung and it's sitting there in your lung. Now, does a virus pull out a clipboard and say, I'm going to ask you the next question. Are you a Republican? Ooh, are you a Democrat? Ooh, do you have freckles? Ooh, do you have three pierced ears? No, a virus doesn't give a damn what you think. It okay, so let's, let's, okay. I love the passion. And Dylan, you told me I'm, I'm running the questions here, right? You're so off the leash, Gloria. I, I have to back you up, you know, because let's go back. Okay. You said something about if, you know, 95% of the people wore masks, we could eliminate this thing by Christmas, right? Yep. Now, does that mean we're still social distancing by not going to these bars and restaurants? Are you just saying it's a mask and that's it? Or is it everything else on top of it, like mm. the closures and, you know, canceling the, Thanksgiving and all of the above? The reason that the closures have to be done right now is because we don't have 95% compliance with the masks, period. If we had 95% compliance and we were doing fist bumps instead of, you know, uh, kissing Aunt Sally, you know, with Thanksgiving, we wouldn't be spreading the virus. Now, the mask is the first protection. The second protection is social distance. The third protection is washing your hands. The fourth protection is disinfecting your services. But the most effective thing we have today is the mask. And if we're not at 95%, we're gonna have viruses all winter long until we all get vaccinated. A lot of us have new state regulations coming out right now or regulations or you know, mandates, whatever the terminology is for your particular state that we're gonna be suggesting a second shutdown. Now, something I saw today out of the state of Illinois was anything that you, ha you have a um, mask that you can take off for personal services should be eliminated. 
So in the float industry, that's us, right? We don't make people wear masks in their room while they're floating. If you read the letter of that law, it says we should close, right? So what's your interpretation on how safe it is to operate in this climate today, given the fact that 95% of the people are not doing what they're supposed to? All right. Uh, the float industry is a unique industry, and, and, and we need to isolate the behavior pattern uh, from, the, from the general population. If you're going in to float, you're already health conscious. You're already well aware of, you know, uh, diets and your exercise and all the good stuff that, you know, we normally do. And so without statistics... I'm going to tell you that the likelihood of a floating patron to have the same chance of COVID-19 as the general population is much less. So I think our patrons are much less chance. Just so because of their lifestyle is what you're saying. Their lifestyle. You know, okay. and it's, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm the first one that documented that this kind of behavior pattern in swimming pools and spas. It's all about the behavior when you were in that particular venue and you, you don't go into a float pod, you know, uh, you know, unless you are looking for some sort of health benefit or, I mean, you're exploring your options in there. That's, that's the big draw for the entire industry. So let's separate our patrons from the general population. Second thing is, I've not met a single float center owner or staff that is not that same kind of mindset. So we're already off in a different mindset than the general population. Okay. So we're already being cautious. So our chance of infection is already low. So we've already done our precautionary things. So we're, we're in reasonably good shape when you look at it from that. All right. Now, all of our employees and everything, you know, we're all wearing masks. So we're already there. And when we have a patron come in, they're in a mask until they get into the uh, the room and then they get their shower, take the mask, and I'll take the mask off before they get their shower. And, you know, uh, they float, take the shower, put the mask back on, come out. Okay. So that means if they were in asymptomatic, you could have an uh, airborne particles there in the room. All right. You could have. But... We know that, you know, the cheap surgical masks that, you know, that, that we couldn't get it all in the spring. Right. Now, now you can buy everywhere and they're about 50 cents a, a thing. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. They're everywhere. And if we are using those, they are 80% efficient in stopping the transmission of the virus. And so all of our staff, if we're using that, we have an 80% chance of reducing infection and we have a reduced likelihood of our patrons anyway. So we have already done a really good job of risk mitigation. And so, yep, there could be an asymptomatic carrier come in and float. You could have viral particles, but the chance is relatively low. It is not like sitting up at the bar around the corner for me with 300 of your closest friends that you've never met before in your entire life, drinking beer and eating pizza for the next five hours. This is not that kind of exposure. Right. So 
So it is a very, very, very low risk venue. Great to hear that. Yeah, yeah, um, that feels good. Yeah, it definitely feels good. Can what I ask about a question, the? Gloria? I guess. <laughs> Please, I guess. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Make it quick. No. Okay. Yeah. Right. Go ahead. Can you can you tell me a little bit about the different ways? Um, so, I, for some reason, I just thought like if you get a virus in in your body in any way, then you know it 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 could infect you or most likely will. And then I started learning about viral loads like the, the number of virus, how it's being transferred. There are different things that will make it more or less likely that it actually impacts you. I'm curious what we know about transmission in that respect for this virus and what we're doing in our float rooms, You know, how much risk, again, let's say, again, they were asymptomatic in our, in our float spaces. Okay, let, let's do a, a different analogy that doesn't involve beer this time. Okay, uh, let's take a Chicago-style deep dish pizza. Mm, I missed it. I missed it. All right. I'm talking to the right people here, Roy. (laughs) I prefer thin crust. Uh, (gasps) Blasphemy. I like Chicago deep dish. Anyway, so now we've got a 14-inch deep dish pizza, and you're starving to death. I'm going to take that pizza, and I'm going to cut it into 250 pieces. And I'm going to eat the first 12. Will I still be hungry? You're damn right, because I wanted the whole damn pizza. (laughs) Now, I eat the next, and I eat the next. And finally, I get to the point that I'm not hungry anymore. Viral infection rates and germ infection rates are the exact same thing. If I only got a couple of them, I may not have an infective dose. And so I may not get sick. So you have to have enough viruses in your body to actually get you sick. And so there's a magic number, and we call that the infective dose. And so that is one of the things we think about, even though we go back to that float room. Your asymptomatic floater came in. They put viral particles in the air. Our employee employee goes in there. They're wearing a mask. So it's only 80% efficient. So they got a few viral particles in there. They didn't get enough to get them sick. And so it's a matter of total inoculation is the way you think about it. If you didn't eat enough of the pizza, you're still hungry. You didn't cure that hunger. If you didn't get enough virus, you're still not gonna get sick. And, and are you in this, hey, in this analogy, well, not in the analogy, but in the hypothetical of going into a float room, you do believe that it's that low? I mean, because I, I don't know. know. Oh, you, we don't know. We okay. don't know what the, what the actual inoculation is okay. that, that required. We haven't got that data yet. Uh, and, and we probably won't do it. Uh, 50, 60 years ago, they probably would have done a study like that uh, and paid prisoners uh, and oh. really would have done it on prisoners because that's the way we know some of the foodborne illnesses. They paid prisoners in the 1950s. Right. You, know, okay. you know, consider that unethical these days. Uh, I know some well, one could make that argument. Yeah. We could feed, but you know, one of them is my brother, but that's a different story. Oh my God. <laughs> so, Roy, going back to the asymptomatic uh, 
Are you saying that those asymptomatic folks are asymptomatic because they haven't reached that viral threshold? Or is that something different? Different thing altogether. Talk to me about this. You have to get enough viruses to cause the infection. And now, now you've got enough in there. Well, you've got to have enough critical uh, inoculation there for them to get together and have a party. So now we're going to a party analogy, okay? All right. So now you, you've been at a party that's supposed to be a really rip-roaring party, and there's four people, right? Boring. Okay. All right. So what does your body do if you only got four people? They just kick your ass out, and it's like, whatever, you're done. You know, you leave the party. And so if you don't get enough, you don't get an infection. But, okay, now you've got enough and you've got an infection. But you're at a party. Some parties that might have 100 people, and they're boring. Your body isn't reacting. And it's just the difference in your physiology that's doing it. Sometimes you don't react to it. 40% of the people we believe never know they even have symptoms. Mm -hmm. All right. Or never know they have it. They, they, they never, they might actually have some sort of symptoms. They might have a runny nose, Mm -hmm. you know, their, their throat might be a little itchy or something, but you know, is it allergy? Was it the cat that slept on my head last night? You know, whatever, you know, it's so 40%. We don't think ever are aware they have symptoms. Another 40% feel like they're off a little bit, you know, and then you got about 20% that develop more serious symptoms. And maybe about the last 5% are the ones that end up in the hospital. Got it. It's real that once you get that critical inoculation, that effective dose, then it depends upon how your body reacts. And that is a product of all your previous exposures and the genetics that you got from your parents. True. So Roy, with those numbers, I like numbers. With those numbers, in theory, we have likely all had people who were positive, mm-hmm. if, if even asymptomatic, come through our float centers. Mm-hmm. And if there was a major outbreak caused by someone coming into our float room to float, we probably would know that by now then, right? Well, look, Drew, absolutely, you're right. Um, uh, there's a number that we get thrown around all the time. What are we up to? About 11 million cases as of today or something like that in the United States. Those are what's called reported cases. Now, we're really testing for it, so we're doing a probably a pretty good job. So we might actually be getting as many as 20% of the known cases out there, which means we're not getting another 80%. So if we take that 11, 12 million, say, that we got today, that means there were probably about 48 million other cases in the United States since January 1. Crazy. Because there's always cases that we don't know about. And so we only talk about the, you know, uh, confirmed cases. Now, something like, you know, 
the flu, you know, we talk about how many cases we get. Those are just guesses. They take the number of reported cases of flu and they multiply it usually by a factor of 10. If we weren't testing as much, and we're doing better on testing, we would probably just multiply that 12 million by 10 and say we've already had 120 million. Your answer, Drew, everybody that's listening on this podcast probably has already known at least a dozen people that have had COVID-19. So those 80% of the people we don't worry about, the real problem is that really severe reaction, that 20% of the population that gets it. Fortunately, when I had West Nile, I was in that 15%, you know, between 80 and 95%. I didn't have to go into the ICU. I just stayed at home and sucked down more naproxen and uh, antihistamines than you can imagine. But that 5%, and that doesn't matter whether you're a newborn infant or a 90-year-old, if you're in that 5%, your chance of survival or coming out unharmed is very, very low. If you go to an ICU, people are coming out, but the survival rate's not that good. So... Digging into the data a little bit more, I have questions around how they're kind of reconciling this number of cases because I went myself with my husband to get tested. He tested positive and he took two tests. He took a rapid uh, antibody test and a rapid uh, saliva test. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I think he did a throat swab one time and a nasal the other. I also took tests. Mine were negative. But now do my tests count as two results? And do his count as two results? Like, um, how, how, do they, how do they kind of roll that up and have some kind of clearinghouse to understand exactly how many tests were positive or negative? Are they all like individual? Now we get into the political situation we're feeling in the United States. When the uh, current administration pulled the CDC off of being the clearinghouse, we now let each state develop its own policy on how to report the data. And so now we have no uniform reporting policy, and we have had states that have done it every way you can imagine. Then they got caught and then they did it differently. And so there has been no consistent pattern. Uh, So we've had no national leadership at all. Uh, And historically, this would have been led by the Centers for Disease Control. They've been handcuffed and hogtied. So they have not been in the loop. I cannot tell you how the state of Illinois did it. I, I mean, I mean, I'm less than 30 minutes from the, the CDC world headquarters where I'm sitting right now. I can't even get a straight answer out from, from here. And so, sorry, we think that the numbers are around 12 million of documented cases. It, you know, we know it's more than that. We know that the number of deaths are running around 248,000 right now. 
we know it's going up. And so, it, you know, it really comes down to a matter of social responsibility. Uh, so we've got the best numbers that we can, and then we take the best science that we understand, and then we take the best sociology, and we try to take the politics out of this thing. A mask is not a political statement. A mask is a public health statement. It means I care about you and I hope you care about me. That's what it means. And so, you know, there's more out there than we know. It's going to get worse in the short term, but we know what we can do and we can wear a mask. We can get vaccinated. We can require all of our customers to wear a mask when they come. We can check their temperature when they come in. Now, the bad news is we're moving into flu season. And, you know, the second vaccine that everybody should be getting is the flu vaccine. Because if anybody's had the flu, it's not fun either. You know? Oh, go ahead. I've answered. I've asked too many questions. So go ahead. No, I don't think you do, but I'm I'm zipping it. Gloria, you asked your question. You said, um, you know, how you know, if I take two tests or if, if he came out with two positive results, I was going to answer for Roy. I'd be like, it, it's like voting. You know, you only have one social security number. You could vote twice, but it only can enter into the database once. Like, no. what? That is insane. I had no idea that was true. And that is absolutely yeah. infuriating that there's not a unified way that all the states are doing this. Well, that think is insane. About it. I mean, I mean, it's just almost impossible without some kind of overriding process, right? When you leave it up to 50 states, it's... Of course it's not going to be. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, that yeah. is just shocking to me. I, no, I it probably other, shouldn't be, but wow. Now, the, the other thing I want to come back and say on here, and, and I want to defend to some extent, 99% of our public health officials. Uh, yeah. I've worked in industry for the last 30 years. I've spent a couple of years working for the state of Kansas, going through a, a school. Uh, my dad was a, a state bureaucrat the last 15, 20 years that he worked. So, um, and you know, all of us have had encounters with the health department, some of them more pleasant than others. <laughs> okay. We all know what I'm saying here, <laughs> but at the same time, I don't think anybody that's ever had an encounter with a public health official or an inspector didn't think they were trying to protect public health. We could disagree with the way they were doing it, but they are dedicated, really hardworking. And if you've ever been in their offices, they got the crappiest offices on the planet. I mean, and and their computers, it's like they have cranks on the side of them. They're so old, you know, I mean, so they're working hard. And at the county level, they're working hard. And then we get into the political appointees a little bit higher up. And as soon as we got into politics, people decided this was a political situation they wanted to manage. And I don't care who you voted for. Uh, This was a public health policy. And we currently have between 20 and 25% of the cases in the world. In the world we have 5% of the world's population. We have four to five times more cases Mm -hmm. per population than Egypt. 
come on now. We have hospitals that nobody could imagine in the third world, and they're doing a better job than we are because we let politics get into it and decide we were doing certain things. And it's really a matter of just following the science. So Roy, with, with that following the science, what do you think we as float center owners should do? Is there something new or different? You know, we've all established our protocols, your help with the FTA and you know what the standards should be, what we've been doing since most of us got to reopen. There are definitely some centers that didn't get to. Um, a lot of places, like we've said, are starting to see those secondary shutdowns again. Um, and some folks, you know, sadly are closing their doors for good. But for those of us who are still operating right now, um, what more can we do? Should we do? What obligations do you feel like we have? I think we're on the right track in, in the float industry. We're on the right track. We're, we're doing the masks. You know, we've talked about disinfection in here. It's really not solid services. It's really airborne. We've got a little bit better understanding than that. I mean, the the one of the, the better things that we could do, and one of the things that, you know, I want to put in perspective. Right now, all of the official N95 masks are going to healthcare providers. So you can't even buy them in the United States. All right. We can still get quality, if you look hard, KN95 masks off of Amazon. They're the next best thing. Uh, I saw it coming and I bought like 100 of those things in March, uh, maybe even February. And so I've still got some of those. The next best thing are the, you know, the, the little cheap surgical masks that, you know, the little blue ones, you know, okay. The ones that are a little worse, are the homemade ones. They are really artistic and all that good stuff, you know, but they're not as good as the disposable ones. So we could make sure we're wearing the right kind of masks. And, you know, uh, I think that we're now starting to circulate things. The FTA is now putting out uh, a circulating an article I found about the, the some of the masks with have a valve on, they have the, the valves that you can exhale better. All right. When you exhale, if you are asymptomatic, but a carrier, the valve lets the viral particles out of the mask into the air around you. And so if the next person coming along, it is not as conscientious as you. They now get the viral particles that your mask let out. Mm -hmm. So the mask does two things. It protects you from inhaling and it stops you from exhaling because you could be infected for three to five days before you have the first symptom. Or you could be completely asymptomatic and you could be spreading the virus for three weeks and not know it. So the mask protects other people as well as you. So since we can't get 95, uh, N95s, we go KN95s, we go to the cheap blue surgical mask and I would go to that, Kim go to those masks. And so on, a, on a sort of related note there, um, I remember many, many months ago, there was a, uh, an article that I had read about um, using salt, um, a salt coating on a mask. There, you know, some 
initial preliminary, really, really early findings were saying that that seemed to be, you know, very effective. And um, in the halo therapy community, there was a lot of interest about making their own. Some people tried it, didn't, you know, have much success because salt can be really irritating. Um, I'm just curious, like, is that something that you've heard that salt can be somewhat beneficial if you find a, a good way to salt your mask? I have not read any detailed scientific paper on it. It, it may be out there, but what we do know is there's been at least four different studies that say just the cheap blue surgical masks are 80% efficient and they're readily available. And the cost on them is between 25 and 40 cents each. And if you've got to go through two or three of them a day per person, but you keep your doors open and you're still bringing some revenue in, that's pretty cheap. Now, over the years, I've seen an awful lot of people come into the various companies I've worked for that had the best invention you've ever seen that it would do this or that or locate the Loch Ness and the monster or <laughs> you know, balance the federal budget and it only costs $19.95. But oh, wait, for the next 10 minutes, if you call, no, it's like, Kim, sorry, uh, you're never gonna get a professional microbiology geek like me to mm -hmm. take on a homemade mask unless somebody's done a $150,000 study on it. So just go to the front of Walmart and buy you a case of the little blue masks and be done with it. Mm -hmm. and, for, and the other thing I've just announced, just think about the labor you've got to go through every time you've got to salt the mask. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're already running at short staffs, right? Right. So now you've just got a mask and now you've got more time because you don't have to play with the mask every time. Sometimes it's all about labor as well as it is about doing the job right. Can I, ask I could about, jump. Oh, go ahead, Drew. Go, no, go ahead, Drew. Go ahead. All right. I have I have two questions that I'm dying to get out. My first one is going to be, Roy, someone calls and says, hey, I'm not really feeling that well. I want to cancel today just in case. I, I, th I This has been happening quite a bit to me. Yeah. I want to cancel just in case. A little sore throat. I don't know. A little tired. Don't want to risk it. Okay. Thank you. Please don't book again for 14 days is what I've been telling people. Yeah. Is that an appropriate way to handle that? Or what What do I do? Um, I just had today, someone was supposed to float tomorrow, canceled because they were in contact with someone who tested positive over the weekend, but they also have a float on Friday. And I said, well, you got to cancel that one too. Wednesday or Friday doesn't make much of a difference, right? <laughs> so just because someone says they tested negative, doesn't mean that the window has closed. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Exactly. Because there is a what's called a latency period between exposure and detection of the infection. And that could be anywhere from 24 to seven days, depending on, on uh, what that test is. And so your 14 day is a really good guide. And, you know, I mean, you know, it's like, I mean, you guys are on sales. It's like, okay. It's like, well, you got to cancel this one too. I have a really good day for you. How is December the 14th for you? Okay. You're going to love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're, it's like, hey, I'm cleaning the tank on the 13th, man. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> Great. We'll put extra salt in for you that day. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, yeah, we're, we're bringing in some salt from Yugoslavia. We're going to love it, you know. Okay. So speaking of cleaning the tank, I have an actual tank. I can't get in there and clean every single spot between every single floater. A, should I be? B, if you tell me I should be, Dylan, can we edit this? <laughs> uh, that's so, great. Okay. It's a hard, right? I, this the, is great. You, this is, yeah, the, tanks actually, are popular. I mean, there are a bunch of them out there, right? This is very much great my questions. question as well. I wanted to ask, yes. which I think Kim maybe wanted to ask too, which is just about, uh, since COVID has come out, we're now using UVC lights to sterilize the inside of our float tanks, as well as it seems to be impacting the air because you get that smell of ozone when you walk in. Mm -hmm. And um, in that same vein, do you think um, like botanical disinfection solution is something that's been recommended for sterilizing, but it, it's not as we'll dangerous as Virex? Uh, we'll destroy the botanical disinfection solution separately. And we'll, we'll get to that one in a minute. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay. So, so let's get back to uh, let's get back to your infected tank. Your your customer that came in yesterday, and you cleaned the. Drew tank. has an infected tank. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> we'll, we'll edit that. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, Kim, don't note that timestamp. Everybody's face. Drew's face just got absolutely white for those who couldn't see. It. Anyway, okay. So we're going to say that Drew's got an infected tank. So now you're in. You're doing the best you can on cleaning your tank. Okay. After you clean the tank, are you going to clean the tank with your bare hands and then take your bare hands before you wash them and uh, run them all over your face? And, you know, and, you know, I mean, so, um, and you've also got to stick your finger up your nose while you're doing this, too. <laughs> all right. So, Drew, uh, you know, is, you know, I hate to ask this, but is, is that your normal pattern, you know, that it's like, but you started this, so I'm going to follow up on it. So after a lot of editing in this episode, yeah. a lot. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Drew's not going to be in the episode. <laughs> I got to stop touching my nose. <laughs> Realistically, though, that virus is going, if that was an infected person, now you've got a virus on the wet surface. Now that virus from that wet surface has to get up your nose, right? That's where the point of infection is. It's up your upper respiratory tract and down into your lungs. Right. Are you telling me that everybody I'm seeing that only have a mask covering their mouth with their nose hanging out are not being safe? <laughs> are you kidding me? Uh, I believe that those people are probably didn't get my memo. <laughs> oh, Roy. This Your reach is not far my, enough. We had to put a sign on our front door, which Indiana actually mandated that we have signage that says that masks are required and service will be refused. But I made sure to put a note on there that your mask must also cover your nose because we've had folks who will walk in. I'm like, can, can you come on? And yeah. we also have uh, signage, right? We have signage <laughs> now on the inside of the float rooms so that as they're coming out, because people are float based, oh, they're feeling nice. good. They forgot yeah. the world exists. Smart. I've had so many people, especially in the last week to two weeks, who've come out without their mask on. So we put a sign up that says, please put your mask back on before you open this door. Um, yeah. And it, again, cover your damn nose and all of that. Yeah. Them. So, so back over to Drew's infected float tank. So... Now we're going to go back to where we started in there. So boom, you're all now a viral particle. 
you are now a SARS-CoV-2 virus. How, how are you going to jump from the surface of that lid or wall or whatever cabin, whatever you've got, how are you going to jump into somebody's nose? Because you don't have legs, you don't have wings, you don't have little legs like a flea, you know, I mean, it's like they really jump. You do not have the ability to move. That means something has to move you. So if you were cleaning that tank with gloves and you washed your gloves with soap and water before you took them off, peeled them off the way they do in the hospital, put them in the trash and then washed your hands after you took the gloves off, you could not possibly have let that virus up your nose. And then I guess if I can extrapolate further, uh, the next floater who comes in, if the inside of his, of Drew's infected float tank wasn't taken care of, um, they're already being told not to touch their face because you don't want to get salt in your eyes and your nose. Uh, yeah. So, and, and the, the, so Drew's of, infected tank is pretty safe. It, yeah. it is. And they're showering before and after. So if they're showering before they get in and then don't touch their face once their hands touch the salty water and then shower is immediately getting out, that's a fairly low risk situation yeah. for our float centers, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, perhaps one of the biggest potential areas of spread might be on, you know, uh, the, the faucet handles for the shower. I mean, so if we're disinfecting that, that, you know, and the doorknob, those might be the two big, you know, the handle, if you, you know, if you've got a, got a cabin or a, po uh, a pod, you know, so it's those surfaces that even that is pretty low. We think huh. that maybe only 5% of the infections are spread by that way anyway, and that's probably high. Huh. Glory. So if somebody sneezes, in the tank and it's humid in there and this is an aerosol you know transmission opportunity does that linger in the air more or less because it's humid and does it matter is it still lingering in the air 90 minutes later the bad news on that is is we didn't used to think it was the really 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 fine droplets we used to think it was the larger droplets uh, that was were spreading it. We think now it's a combination of both. So somebody might sneeze, well, even just exhaling. I mean, it's like, you know, uh, everybody floats differently, but, you know, I get in and try to do some breathing exercises, and so I'm breathing in and out. So you're breathing kind of heavily and putting yourself in. in so in if we tell people not to breathe and not touch their face, we're good. Got well, it. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, then, Gloria, if you told them not to breathe once they came in the front door, there would be no exposure whatsoever. So, right. Good but, grief. But, you know, yes, you could have some exposure in the pot. But how long it lingers. Now, one of the really good things is that the humidity of it means those droplets are likely to fall out faster. Mm -hmm. They're likely to agglomerate is the multi-syllable word us geeks like to use and fall out faster. And then we have that, you know, period between floats. And I think most people have extended that period a little bit to let the particles fall out. So we're doing the right thing 
it's still a low risk. If you want zero risk, you should move north of the Arctic Circle right. and <laughs> not deal with anybody. Um, are HEPA filters going to be helping at all with that, or is it oh, just hell yeah? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you had a, a HEPA filter uh, system in there in the room or something like that, I mean, uh, there's this little facility in Maryland called Fort Detrick. And for those that aren't, aren't really into microbiology, they did things like germ warfare at Fort Detrick. That's where HEPA filters really came into. Huh. They could handle the nastiest stuff on the planet. And, and virus. And, oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, cool. it's like this virus is nothing compared to the things that they... All right. Everybody's seen like Outbreak and, you know, and uh, right. uh, all the movies where the guys are in the moon suits and, you know, right. in there. All right. All those rooms have HEPA filters. Yeah, those are all HEPA filtered air. Before the air exhausts the building, it goes through multiple HEPA mm. filters. Mm. And so the air coming out of one of those really nasty laboratories is probably the cleanest air on the planet. I love it. I love it. That's great because I have a HEPA filter in every room. Um, before, but, before we wrap things up, oh, sorry, go ahead. What you got to do if you've got to have a filter, you've got to have that air turnover to be really effective. You've got to have the air turnover enough to filter the air mass. For sure. You said you were going to destroy botanical disinfectant solutions. I'm really curious because I was possibly okay. going to switch from UVC because my employees keep dropping them in the water. Okay. <laughs> now let's look at the back label of your uh, botanical solution. When you turn that label over and it says directions for use, do you see the word that says, quote, it is a violation of federal law to use this product in a manner inconsistent with its labeling, end quote. If you turn it over and do not see that, that is not an EPA registered material. Okay. And then you need to look down below and it will see this little phrase down there in real small print, usually really small print, that says EPA REG period no period and then it will be a series of numbers after it that is an epa registration number if and on that label it will tell you how long to leave it on the services how to apply it and what germs it will kill if it says approved by the epa approved by the FDA, accepted by the FDA, accepted by the EPA, they're selling you crap. EPA and FDA do not approve a damn thing. So the wording must read like some lawyer wrote it. <laughs> because right. approved very, very carefully. It will be the most boring instructions you've ever seen on your life. If it reads a little too flowery, throw it away and get something else. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to uh, have to check the, the back of the label. My goodness. Yeah. Um, the quickest last way. Last question. Is, yeah. Please. Are you single? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's an inside joke, Roy. Not for you. But because I know you're Look not, but shirt. we even we have a even have a, a picture of me asking the question. <laughs> so I am just absolutely floored by your knowledge and your passion for this knowledge, yeah. and I am so grateful that you're part of our industry. And I'm just 
you know, blessed to have you as a friend and colleague. Mm -hmm. And I'm very grateful. Likewise. likewise. I feel like I read 20 articles on the virus tonight. Like it feels like, yes, I got the information that I'd piecemeal from a bunch of different articles, you know, thank you so much. Roy. Yeah. Thank you, Roy. Can we just get a little, like a Roy microchip that we can insert into our brains? (laughs) <laughs> that'd be nice it wouldn't would that be, nice. be something oh that'd be nice microbiology <laughs> slot check yeah that would be cool <laughs> totally more than cool. around the planet oh god no. <laughs> plus i'd get a humor upgrade that'd be nice <laughs> thank roy thank you so much for joining us tonight i truly appreciate it Thanks so much to our supporters. Thanks so much to Float Helm. Thanks to Maximum Floats and Mindful Solutions. Thank you guys so much. And uh, let's see here. Beyond that, thanks to my co-hosts, Gloria, Drew, and Kim. Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure. And I'm glad we all got to ask our questions tonight. Kim, thank you for also taking show notes live on the show. I know this was a really easy episode to record. Uh, As always, Drew, I hope you're able to get your dirty float tank clean. And until next time, we'll see you next week. Feinstein is the one who emailed me this and was like, this could be, uh, oh shoot, you can't see that really, can you? Yeah, no. So there it goes. Bio-esque. What is that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I looked that up for uh, Justin and that is a good one. Oh, really? There. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> well, damn it. <laughs> we'll, we'll add that after the, the theme music at the end. <laughs> that's a legitimate one. So it's like, uh, uh, uh it's a sub-registered one. It's a little complicated to look it up, but it took me about a minute and a half to look it up once Justin emailed it to me. So but, I could uh, do this in, in place of Virax and spray the insides of my tank with this? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, what I warned Justin on, the only thing on that one, I don't know what that one smells like, so that one might have an odor on that one. I, I believe there's one that's neutral, um, but uh, would this do anything for the air itself? Uh, it's not registered as a disinfectant for air. Yeah. You'd have to use a different product on it. Perfect. Uh, wait, one last question. <laughs> Roy, I'm just using hydrogen peroxide mixed with water. That's okay. Uh, to spray my to spray my touch points and wipe it off. Yeah, it, it's like we we know three uh, percent hydrogen peroxide has about a thirty second rate of kill. Perfect. Wait, yeah, what? So. Yeah, yeah. Thirty that's second why dry I, time on. Yeah, I'm yeah. using Virex and it has a fifteen minute wet time for killing oh, how COVID. About that? How what? about that? You're How- using something that's more expensive. Yeah, way more. Yeah, I mean, us, us East Coast guys are much smarter than you guys. Are. <laughs> yeah, we are. I just spray the, I spray the interior, I you let know, it sit. And and the ones in the middle down. are about halfway between us. You know, so <laughs> I just burn some sage middle, and like, I do a dance. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right, Roy. Thank you. All All right. Right. Is there anything else? Thank you, Roy. Roy.